Chris Fomsby here from Burlap. And Chris Abel, young adult pastor. All right. We are here for another podcast, and today we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about the age that you need to be to connect with young adults, if there is such an age. We're going to talk about the gospel and why nobody believes it, supposedly. So to say. And we're going to talk, uh, lastly, about a a humorous news story that I saw uh, in the news a few few weeks ago uh, about millennials and their driving skills. So, yeah, that's what we're going to do this uh, episode. We're we're glad that uh, you're here along for the ride with us. So you had this idea as we were talking about what to gather as we gather our thoughts for this podcast. You were talking about how you've had some interaction with people, mainly some assumptions that they make about the age you need to be to connect with millennials. What are your general thoughts on that? And then give me a couple of stories. So, hey, Chris Abel here, and uh, nice nice to be here with you listeners. <laughs> uh, so I was a youth minister for a while before I ever got into pastoral ministry and uh, working with young adults. And it, it happened in youth ministry a lot, and it happens even now today, working with young adults, is again and again, I people make the assumption that you have to be a young adult to reach young adults. And I've always disagreed with this, and I still disagree with it. And I think that maybe there's some situations where it helps to be young adults. For instance, I've heard uh, that pastors generally have a uh, like a bandwidth of reaching people 20 years younger and 20 years older. If that's the case, then I'm doing a really good job of reaching 13 year olds to 53 year olds. Like it's a nice sweet spot there. But um, in it, I don't know if that's necessarily the case in my life. You know, I've had people who invested in me who are not young adults and they're the reason I got involved with church. So I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of a tricky conversation. Why, why do you think people go there? I don't know. I think people are looking for ways to maybe not have to aggressively pursue reaching, <laughs> reaching a younger audience, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, I think it's just, I'm too old. Well, I think sometimes yeah. people just dismiss it right away. Just almost giving themselves permission to let somebody else think about it and have to be strategic within the church, but even outside the church yeah. of just connecting with younger audiences and younger ages. I don't, I don't think it's true. I mean, I look back on my life, coaches I've had, business leaders who've invested in me, uh, older pastors who've invested in me. And, you know, even when I was in my 20s, I can remember one guy in his early 70s who spent hours with me. It was relational. So it made sense not only for me to continue the ongoing meetings, but it was making a difference in my life. I remember thinking at times like, man, I'm so grateful for Joe. And Joe had an extensive background in education and in business. And he just took it upon himself to mentor me. And I, I don't ever remember thinking that there was this age difference even. I mean, there was clearly a wisdom difference. I mean, I was <laughs> a, young, a young guy. I was getting ready to get married. And he was even helping me with thinking through that, that and just w- the difference between just, you know, asking my then fiance Gina to marry me. And then the difference between saying, will you marry me? And like, let's share our lives together. So I don't, I don't know. I think sometimes it comes down to people are a little bit nervous or afraid or anxious. And so they go, look, I don't have to, I don't have to do this because I'm not young. And I think that's a big mistake. Yeah. I would think about, uh, so I, I, I went through a period where I was an, an atheist and not interested in church. You know, I was skeptical of the gospel because mm-hmm. I, Saw a lot of hypocrisy in Christians, mm, totally. and so. Uh, but I, I gave church a chance again, and I remember uh, I didn't even like this church, but they had a they had a small group that was run by a middle aged couple, and they had teenagers that weren't even in the group. They just had a heart for people in their twenties and uh, invited me in, and it you know I still like my heart warms thinking about them. Yeah. Like it was not a it was not cool people putting together some cool program with hipster instruments and mm-hmm. skinny jeans. It was just. 
an authentic couple who opened their home and loved on us. And it changed my, my faith trajectory entirely. Yeah. I mean, I think back to when I was a youth pastor and all of the volunteers that we had, you know, many of them were not young. I mean, they were some parents, but a lot of older parents, some grandparents even going, I just want to invest in the next generation or future generations. And I think that one of the common misconceptions among churches who are trying to reach millennials is that if we just hire somebody young, it will work. And that's just, that's tragic because yeah. some people just can't lead, period. It doesn't matter who they're trying to lead. Other people don't have the imagination for it or the calling for it or the passion for it. So the, I guess on two issues, one is the issue of what, what age do you need to be? And then like, we've already kind of, I think, dismissed that. But then yeah. what do churches need to look for in somebody? And I think the key words you mentioned earlier about the situation in your life are words like open and caring and investing. And those those are things people are looking for. I don't care what generation you are. Millennials, Gen Z, people want to know that someone cares about them. Yeah. And and when they realize that, there's a mutual connection there, a mutual relationship. And I So I don't know. I, I get that question a lot. I'm sure you get it even more. I know that sometimes like you said this or maybe I said it, but the assumptions are oh, well this guy's young so he hangs out with young people. And that impacts some of the ways that we lead up sometimes. So talk to me about that a little bit. Like I know sometimes it's one thing to say, oh, you know, the young adults or the youth need someone young. But that in that same breath, they're also limiting what that person can do in the whole church sometimes right. based on that, you know, automatic sort of placement among young people. So have you ever felt that? Uh, absolutely. It was actually it was one of the biggest challenges taking the job I have now. So I'm our young adult pastor, and uh, it's been great. But I was a campus pastor, not a college campus pastor, but like a multi-site church pastor. So mm -hmm. I launched – a church uh, with people of all ages. And we had some people that were in their seventies who saw me as their pastor. And I, we had some people who were teenagers that saw me as their pastor and everyone in between and, you know, married people who had, were going through marriage problems coming to me for advice. And I'm not, I'm single. I don't, I don't know, but, the, but they saw me as their pastor and I loved that. And I miss it. I mourned the loss of that in some ways because mm -hmm. coming on, on board of a more established church, What's happened is I think I get patronized is that there's a subconscious um, spirit that young people don't know how to run things mm -hmm. or young people, younger people don't, can't handle the responsibility. And I, I, I want, it's just kind of funny because I, I feel like I, people don't realize how much I could help yeah. sometimes. Yeah. So that's, that's some of just my personal frustrations. Maybe you're an older pastor right now and, or, you know, you're, you're 40, 50, 60s, mm -hmm. whatever, and you have younger employees and, uh, and, and maybe you've subconsciously made that, you know, kind of minds, you've kind of come to that same yeah. conclusion, like they're young. And so, you know, you know, you have to earn responsibility and management roles and different things. But the truth is, if you're passionate about something, you learn a lot of that stuff. And that's so true because I was just – I was actually in line across the street. Not that anybody listening knows where across the street is, but I was over at the Starbucks getting a coffee. And I bumped into this youth pastor that used to come to some of the training that I used to do. He's actually no longer a youth pastor. Now he's selling houses. And uh, I asked him, so what are you doing now? He's like, well, I'm selling houses. And I'm like, how come you don't work for the church anymore? Like, what's going on? I hadn't seen this guy in a couple of years, actually. So he said, well, exact to your point, he's like, well, you know, things were going fine and everything was great with the youth, but I didn't feel like I was getting a chance to lead in any other areas. And I didn't feel like I was growing or being challenged. And so I just decided I wanted to do something more challenging. Now, some of that's a vocational deal. I'm sure, 
you know, some people who are called to that way of life just grind it out and stick to it. And that's okay. And I'm not saying he wasn't yeah. called to it. I'm just saying for some people, great, stick to it, grind it out, do your thing. But in this case, he's going, if I'm not going to get any experience by leading or being empowered to lead, even, even though I might make a few mistakes every now and again, I'm done. I'm going to go somewhere else where someone will invest in me and where I can be challenged and kind of experience the, uh, the life, so to speak, that's needed to get to the next level of leadership. So, yeah, that's that's interesting. There's all kinds of things that I think we could talk about on that point. Yeah, I don't want to drag it on no, it's too long. But yeah, go ahead. So two things come to mind. One is I read a statistic about millennials reaching managerial roles. So the corporate world is learning that that millennials have skills and ability to put into into managerial roles. And so I read a study somewhere that was saying the average ma- millennial manager is like the age is dropping as companies are looking for people who want to lead more, but they, they don't get training. So they just kind of get thrown in. They have to figure it out. So I thought that was really interesting mm-hmm. that more in the corporate world that people are kind of raising up these managers. And maybe, I don't think that necessarily they're investing in them. I think that's a different, yeah. different choice of words. Some of that, though, I think is – Young people are being placed in managerial roles, and I'm not making a statement like they shouldn't or that you know that's not happening. I do I do know that there's thousands of boomers retiring every day, yeah. and they're leaving managerial spots open, you know, mid management kind of positions. Not all of those, obviously, but many of those. And so someone's got to fill those. Xers are kind of either already in those roles or not suited for those roles in whatever case, the whatever company it may be. Yeah. And so millennials are sliding up into those places. And I would hope that they are getting the investment because, you know, I think that's what generally brings the leadership quotient, if you will, continues to help that rise uh, throughout the country. So that's an interesting question we get a lot is yeah. ages and who should work with the youth and Sunday school classes who, who of full of older people saying, well, we just can't reach the youth. We're not hip enough, cool enough. We just, I don't think that's true. You're saying you don't think that's true. Yeah. And don't, you know, don't, don't pick on yourself. You know, don't, don't get Debbie Downer on your age or your generational difference. Um, I'm telling you as, as somebody, both of us have experienced an older generation reaching down, loving on us, investing on us, and it changed our lives. And, uh, so do that, do that. Yeah. (laughs) Don't, don't make excuses. Don't, you know, look at the problems. Uh, there's people who are waiting even today. Um, I, I do a, a young staff kind of spiritual life group, Mm. um, during lunch on, on Wednesdays. And so I, this group together and there's just one young guy and he, he was telling me how he's been part of this church for, for years. And, um, and this is the first time that somebody's taken the time to invest in him and pull him aside and invite him to things. And he says he feels like he belongs now, not just his body. He belongs. Yeah. And so, and and that's just thirty three to twenty, and there, that gap, you yeah. know, I, yeah. that I have to be intentional right. about right. inviting and helping people belong. So that's just cool to hear success stories, even even though I'm a millennial. So. Well, let's talk about the gospel for a minute. Oh, I mean, well, let's here, just, let's yeah, let's jump just there. jump let's right go. in it. I want to. I want to just because part of. Part I think it's just, a reason why I just jump right to it is because I think some of it overlaps, obviously. Yeah. Right? When you start talking about the church reaching young people, it's like, well, what are we reaching them for? Uh, and so I was on a conversation, a conference call with a group of pastors from the Northeast. Wait, and, well, where in the Northeast? Like all over the really? Northeast. Yeah, it was kind of like one of those Zoom app kind of deals where oh. we were all kind of on a video conferencing. So they're asking me a bunch of questions. And one of the questions was related to the gospel. Do millennials, uh, I guess the the question was, is there an interest 
in the gospel. And I'm like, well, what do you mean, right? I mean, by yeah. who? And the question came back. That could be more spe- Right. More specifically, do millennials want to hear about the gospel? And, I, and, you know, so much of that is like, well, how are you living it? How are you talking about it, right? And I didn't know these guys well. This was just a consulting call. They asked me to jump on for a few minutes and answer some questions. And so I, I did. And it, one of the statements that this one pastor made was no one – and that's how he said it. No one responds, talking about millennials, to the gospel anymore. And I just thought, that just can't be true. First of all, anytime anyone uses language like no one or always yeah. or never, you know, there's a certain hesitancy to buy into that. But getting aside that, it's like, well, in what ways are we living the gospel? If it's not compelling to somebody, well, why would they be interested, right? And what? And so I just wanted to get your take on, like, what what do you think about that? Like overall, what what's your general uh, assumption about millennials in the gospel? Man, I think you know two thoughts come to mind. First of all, so so one is that we have more of a global eye than we've ever had before, and so we we just see things all over the news, right? Like we were we were talking about earlier about United mm-hmm. uh, and their gaff on the plane, mm-hmm. not just gaff, just mm-hmm. like total disrespect for a human right. being. And then the Pepsi uh, commercial that came mm-hmm. out a little while ago and that people were, were ragging on. And, um, and it's just funny to see these like brands have to actually uh, like step it up in some ways because there's a, there's a global eye. Like people are paying attention more than ever before. And I think that changes Christianity in some ways because um, no longer is there just a church culture. And so what this guy might be saying is, you know, people aren't interested in the gospel anymore. Well, you know, what he's also kind of saying is people don't feel obligated to go to church anymore. Mm-hmm. That's not the same thing. Right. You know, there's there's a whole there's a whole church culture out there that exists because for generations people just felt like they were supposed to go to church. But if you look at data from when the United States was just being formed in the 1700s, the data shows there weren't a lot of Christians. Mm-hmm. Even though we like to say that we were founded on a Christian nation, like all of our statistics show that that's not necessarily the case. The Christian the, the Christian faith grew as the United States matured, which is fascinating to think right. about. Yeah. So um, that being said, the I, I just think it's funny that with this kind of global awareness and global eye now, what people are doing is they're associating the gospel with Christianity as they experience it. Like right. we're watching. We see more things that Christians do, that priests do, that the Pope does. I mean the Pope's kind of super popular right now because he's authentic and real and he's reaching all these younger people, which is amazing, by the way. I'm really happy for the Catholic Church that they have such a stellar you know, figure leading the church. But it could have been just as easily the opposite of somebody who's just – like the the global microscope or not microscope but magnifying glass right. is on him and he so we're associating brands with actions now and the same thing's happening with the church is people aren't just talking about the gospel like, like as if it's in like a little like vacuum by itself now it's being associated with christians so that's one thing and and but you know how you can counteract that you know if if somebody right now like for example the united thing going on right now they've got a super bad reputation stocks are dropping mm-hmm. the ceo had to have like a, a team come in to help mm-hmm. him like you know stop the hemorrhaging of people you know he just needed to apologize first of all i just don't know why these people are so <laughs> cocky um he actually blamed the guy he said he was making a ruckus instead of apologizing for the way they treated him i'm sorry <laughs> i just like i cannot get over that but uh but but if somebody has a really good encounter with one of those agents where with a pilot 
with like a transition team. Like right now, that whole organization, like they're they're in trouble because of the actions of a few people. But they they can counteract it by the individual actions and representing and being going above and beyond for every customer that they have. Yeah, I think they're going to have to have the art of the long view in mind, just like yeah. the church needs to. That yes. you're not going to overnight win people back to United. And you're not going to overnight win people to the church, whether that's for the first time or whether that's back to the church, whatever the conversation is. The post-Christian world that we're in is still, in my opinion, very interested in the gospel when they see it lived out and when they understand that it's we're talking more than just going to church and abiding by a set of rules that they believe are just these kind of assumptions that lead people toward personal piety. And honestly, as I was talking to these guys in the Northeast, as we continue to discuss more and more about do people really uh, have an interest in the gospel, so much of it has to do with this idea of how small sometimes we make the gospel. I think, it, yeah. why would you be interested in something that's so small as if to say like, well, the gospel equals church. If the gospel equals church, then very few people are going to want to be even remotely interested in hearing about it. But when it's such a big thing, like the, I think for example, the creative optimism of millennials, right. And this idea of possibility that a lot of the millennials I meet and statistics will back this up. They're super optimistic, right? They're yeah. overall, generally speaking, we don't trust people who are optimistic. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like this paradox, right? Yeah. This is skepticism on one side, but this optimism that things could actually get better. I mean, that to me is just one piece of uh, generational uniqueness or distinctive that makes the gospel relevant is like this idea of possibility. But when we just make the, the gospel, well, you suck and you need help to, you know, recover from your suckiness, <laughs> then yeah. who's going to be interested in that? But when we talk about a world becoming whole, right, or being a, a, a place or people of, of unbroken, Instead of the broken. I think people resonate with that. They just don't know that that's the gospel because all they've heard or maybe they've never heard anything. And all they think of is the gospel is church or the gospel is the guy who is evangelizing me at yeah. the health club or the golf course or the coffee shop or whatever. And he's driving me nuts. Or like the guy I met a few weeks ago who uh, said, you're not one of those church planners too, are you? Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, and I'm not planning a church or anything, but I mean, what do you mean? He's like, that guy's just always trying to get me to go to his church. And I'm just like, well, like I'm sure one he, track mind. I mean, yeah. and I don't know any of the context there, but I, I know the guy was left with feelings of like gospel equals church planting, aggressive, equals pressure. aggressive pressure to come to my church. Yeah. And I think we need to rethink all of that, particularly in light of what we see with the emerging generations. But I think there's, there's great uh, optimism or hope with that because of the generation's uh, desire to see the world become a better place or, or make it a better place, you know, yeah. and intentionally participate in God's mission to restore the world. So we finished the conversation with the guys in the Northeast with sort of this thinking about, uh, you know, well, then what do we mean by gospel? And it was a great conversation. I hope, I hope it broadened their perspective, but I don't know if there's anything else you want to add on that, but I think it's a huge issue. The church has to get its arms around if it really wants to see people, particularly emerging generations engage with faith. Yeah. So I, I think it's hilarious when people say things like people aren't interested in the gospel. That's like, it's like United Airlines saying people don't want to fly. 
No, flying's amazing. Fly, you can get across the world. Like, we're not going to give up flying because of a bad, you know, one bad mistake. No, flying is, like, going to be part of a life on this planet from here on out. Like, it's only going to, the technology is only going to grow. And the same thing is true of faith and of spirituality. You don't have people um, who are giving up on some idea of transcendence. You like that word a lot. Yeah, I love that word. That's a great and, word. Or, and I like to, to say awe. Yeah. You know, they've done studies on people. People are not giving up on a sense of awe. They want more to their lives. And if the gospel, if the, if the gospel actually lives into its namesake of good news, if it can provide, mm-hmm. I had a couple, um, say to me this last week that, um, the, Oh, it was my apartment manager, actually. So I was inviting her to church, not in a weird way, by the way. And she's like, you know what? If it'll add value to my life, we're just going through a hard time right now. And I don't want to go to a place that just makes life harder and makes me feel worse about myself. And I was like, wow. It's amazing that she has to say that. Right. You know? Well, obviously, there's a experience there that's led her and her husband, it sounds like, to yeah. to think that way. And that's some of what we need to undo as we as we dig deeper into trying to help emerging generations experience a robust faith. So what do you, like one question that we might ask you, the listener about this is, you know, what are you excited about when it comes to your faith? What is actually the good news to you? And, and you know, pastors, we know how hard it is. We know how exhausted you are. This is, you, we, you just, we just got finished with Easter. You know, you're probably just recouping. You feel like you're planning sermons week to week. You've got a lot of stuff going on. You've got people complaining. You know, sometimes church doesn't feel like good news. And so are you going back to your core? Like, what's the thing? What's the fire in your soul? What's like the thing that, that fills you with life? And are you going back to that? Because that's going to be appealing to younger generations is that you got to have your fire. Well, I think it, yeah, I think that's such a great point. I mean, what is it that drives you to, to live in such a way that people are compelled and having a new imagination for what the gospel can mean to them? Well, good thoughts, Chris. Well, listeners, we uh, realize that churches aren't the only people talking about millennials. And uh, I just want to segue into uh, something going on in the news. We like to keep, you know, both of us get alerts about News articles, research, different things going on when it comes to millennials and Gen Z. And so, Chris, yeah, what are I you got talking one, about? I got one for you. Here you go. Let me ask you a question. Just just right off the top of your head. Who's better driver, millennials or boomers? My guess would be, I feel like it's going to be a trick question, but like my intuition is millennials are better. <laughs> no way. According to this cheapcarinsurance.net report, which is just hilarious, but it's inside of NBCnews.com. It, it's making the case that boomers are way better drivers than millennials, and that when uh, wait a minute, what yeah, do you mean way better? Way way better. Like seventy seven point eight percent of the people who took the test passed who were boomers, and only twenty nine percent passed of like basic of driving skills. Basic driving skills. You know, I mean, this maybe is, that doesn't surprise me. It's just hilarious. I think. I mean, it says taking a road trip with grandma soon. You may want to let her drive, and I I just thought that was funny. I thought we'd end with something a little comical. You know, I've seen you drive; it's very true. <laughs> I've been with you in the car. You know, I would much I, rather I, drive. With I have my... one of those progressive snapshot things that you plug into the bottom side, and it track it beeps whenever you brake too fast. And every time I drive, it beeps, and it drives me nuts. And I've had it for like nine months. I'm like, when are you going to get the data you need so I can send this thing back? I hate it. So is that one of the stereotypes that bothers you? That millennials are bad drivers. Um, you know, to be you know what's funny is last night we we uh, for our young adult program I bring in people to interview, and last night uh, the guy we interviewed 
uh, about 12 years ago, got rear-ended by someone, and it caused him brain trauma, and it, tra- it changed his life. It totally offset his life. And he said the woman who, who rear-ended him was a 70-year-old woman driving to see her grandkids, but she was on her cell phone. How funny is that? <laughs> There's a stereotype you don't usually make. Oh, no, that's funny. So, Well, I want to thank you for joining us for another uh, podcast episode. We're glad to have you around listening. Feel free to interact with us. Just go to www.thinkburlap.com. And we'd be happy to uh, answer any questions that you might have, as well as take any questions uh, for our future conversations on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Mm